Okay, welcome to the show, A Story of America with DeAndre Pace. Today, today's story is going to be about the birth of this great nation. So, I mean, you know, I'm not going to delay anymore. I'm just going to go right on into the story. And then I'm going to introduce my guest that I have that was on standby uh, with me. And we're going to talk about some of our experiences here. Well, let me go ahead and get started with the story here. Now here in these times, the most crucial moment in our modern history, we are faced with the task of keeping our nation. In the most circumstantial way possible, we will be able to either make or break a nation. To avoid sounding coy, I will not quote Dr. Ben Franklin, but the sentiment is much the same. I have sat back for years and observed the changing of this nation, and perhaps these changes are only seasonal but it is a grave disservice to this country for me to remain silent. The greatness of America is a course of events almost fantasy-like. The story of how it all began, the victory against the greatest odds, and the revolutionary idea of freedom and independence are what cements the birth of America to the legendary status of the 300s or the Renaissance. Here in, here in America, the story of positive change never ends. From the founding of a nation to the ending of slavery, from building the Panama Canal to winning two world wars to increasing the quality of lives of all those around us. This is the greatest story ever told, the story of America. As of all things, America has an origin. So let us go back before even 1776 and the establishment of America, back before even the days leading to the Declaration of Independence to discuss the founding of the very idea of America itself. You see, America is not the first country to rally behind the idea of independence, nor will it be the last. The idea of an independent society dates from the world's earliest recorded civilization of Mesopotamia to Babylon and its capital city of Uruk, to Egypt, to the Maya and the Minoans. But the one that, but the one that makes America uniquely different in its independence is its melting pot of ideals which forms the base, no, the foundation on which America stands. America's first, America first got its roots as a civilization from the trials and errors of other ancient civilizations before it. However, America took the greatest attributes of each civilization with little to none of the faults which led to the downfall of all those many great civilizations before her. Perhaps no civilization played a greater role in influencing the concept of America than that of the Greeks. The democrat state of Athens and the Republic of Sparta are really the cornerstone behind the idea behind America. Though individually the duality of Sparta and Athens led to the Greeks' destruction, it was the idea of merging the best of the two together whilst limiting the power of the state to the consent of the governed which allowed America to flourish for what is now 244 years. Roman times also heavily influenced America along with the ancient Egyptians, though that is far later in its development. However, there is one thing major about the Roman Empire which would set America on course with Britain and her independence. Enter 1517. A particular priest ordained a decade previous by the Roman Catholic Church Martin Luther had become sorely concerned and caused great upheaval about the hypocrisy and corruption of the church. 
that he wrote and mounted his famous 95 theses upon the doors of the Roman Catholic Church. He had in few words declared in essence his independence for his independence and for those of faith from the church forever severing the power and influence of the Roman Catholic Church and by extension the diminished might of the Roman Empire itself. This courage will not be replicated again until the Declaration of Independence drafted in 1776. Jefferson and by extension John Dickinson could not have been more true when they said, Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. Over the years which lead to the birth which led to the birth of America, people across the world had had grown very weary of despotism and the absolute power ascribed to monarchs by the right of divine providence. The abuses which were not just stricken on the colonies but also in France and Austria and in Spain and in Africa and many nations then which were far more developed and ordered in America had begun to feel the same pain which led Martin Luther to go against that which he was supposed to custom the Roman Catholic Church. So in the line previous Jefferson wrote that when government becomes so destructive that it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and so like Martin Luther and his 95 theses we did. In the years leading up to the Revolutionary War King George III and the British Parliament had produced grave offense after grave offense against the colonies heavy taxation on common goods and the denial of the rights to fairness and equal representation of the greater courts of the magistrates from Britain were the last straw that lit the fires of independence. The Second Continental Congress, in order to exercise all peaceable recourse, attempted to dissuade King George and, the Brit and Great Britain with the Olive Branch Petition authored by Thomas Jefferson and revised by John Dickinson on July 8th 1775. The king, having none of it, responded in kind on the 23rd day in August 1775, saying to the Second Continental Congress that the colonies were a traitorous rebellion which must be suppressed by all means. Either the colonies would submit themselves to the pleasures of the king or be executed by hanging. For the first time since the creation of the Congress, it was utterly quiet. After a letter from his closest confidant and his counsel, his wife, Abigail Adams, John Adams had surmised that the only recourse left was total and absolute independence and separation from the British Crown. He drafted a council of members to come up with all the necessary means to declare independence. Esteemed members such as Dr. Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, General Washington, and even the legendary penman for the Congress and the greatest opposition to Adams himself, John Dickinson, were of the few members. After which, one year hence, four days removed from the date of the Olive Branch Petition, July 4, 1776, America had declared her independence. Even prior to the signing of the Declaration of Independence, the spark of the revolution 
had already begun with the gunshot hurt round the world at Lexington and Concord in Massachusetts in 1775. It was then that the Congress had elected their most esteemed and respected member to be America's first commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, Colonel George Washington. Now General Washington took on a few fine men, including many of his slaves, and deputized them to march on Lexington and Concord to relieve Massachusetts. Now General Washington was a humble man, and by no means was he a great tactician of any kind by his own accord. But still his men, most of whom had never been trained with a firearm, let alone in military tactical training, bravely marched with him. His daring and ever-pursuant spirit had led his troops to victory and many losses. It was his never-quit attitude and spirit that cemented his role as a man men were proud to follow and die for. Sometime after the signing of the Declaration of Independence, John Adams and Ben Franklin were sent to France as envoys of the newly declared United States of America to request the assistance of King Louis in vanquishing the British. Now it is no secret the animus and loathing between the French and the British. King Louis was more than happy to aid America against their common enemy. And so now with the help of the French militia, General George Washington finally had the manpower and experience needed to repel the British. And it was so that on September 3rd, 1783, nearly a full decade since the gunshot at Lexington, America has succeeded. We had won. We repelled the British forces and cemented America's place as a new and free country. Unanimously, in 1789, George Washington, for his extraordinary bravery and patriotism in leading us through the Revolutionary War, was elected the most suitable man to lead the United States of America as its first president. Washington would set many of the precedents of office and the actions of a president. He was truly a man independent and devoid of politics, even amongst the many arguments of his Secretary of State and the Secretary of the Treasury. Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton respectively. Though it was the works of the two presidents which succeeded him that would establish the long-standing policies, practices, and traditions of America. His vice president, whom became the second U.S. president, John Adams, within his first term in office, or his one term in office should I say, would create America's first police force and would establish America's long-standing neutrality in the affairs of other nations. He is also responsible for the President's mansion, the White House. The man to whom he lost to was his good friend and Vice President, Thomas Jefferson. Further, went to secure and establish America as a superpower within the world by doubling its size with the Louisiana Purchase to conquering uncharted territory by sending Lewis and Clark to map America, and all this Jefferson did not with war and bloodshed of the other illustrious superpowers of the world which had preceded us, but through means of diplomacy and economical negotiation. To close this tale of the birth of the greatest nation to ever exist, I say the beauty 
and the memory of America's independence is none more plainly shown than in the strength of will displayed fifty years the day since the Declaration of Independence, the last two surviving members of the First and Second Continental Congress and the Founding Fathers would with all their might and all their heart in old age and in poor health withstand until their dying breaths to see the anniversary of our independence. Both Thomas Jefferson and John Adams would die July 4th, 1826, just hours apart. It was said that while Jefferson died a few hours before Adams, John Adams' last words to his son, John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, were, Thomas Jefferson survives. It is truly a marvel to wonder on the birth of a nation so great as ours, the pride and joy and strength of character that these men displayed to pay their final tribute to the country they fought for 50 years earlier and to see it still alive and thriving as they lie dying. And here we are now, 244 years later, and oh how I wonder what those great patriots would say now when they gaze upon our country. America is the greatest country ever conceived, and it is nigh about time we started telling the world the story of America. And that's my open. Tell me, guys, tell me what you think of this story on the birth of a nation. And now I'm going to introduce a good friend of mine. Uh, I've met him some time ago playing video games of all things. Who's who said video games couldn't unite people? But this is a friend of mine who is the the first friend to join me in Facebook Live, and now he's the first friend to join me on my radio show. And the very first episode, no less, the pilot episode on the birth of a nation. Welcome to the story of America, Jesus Juarez, my good friend Jay. How's it going? Yeah, I, I was gonna say, uh, what am I gonna, uh, you know, call you? Cause I'm always calling you Odin. <laughs> well, of course, you, of course, you know my name is DeAndre. That's what the show says: "The Story of America" with DeAndre Pace. But you can call me Odin. I've call, I'm going to call you Jay. You can call me Odin. We've known each other for quite some time. I'm a black man, and you're a Hispanic American. Or should I just say that you're just that you're a American who happens to be Hispanic, and I'm an American who happens to be black. And you wouldn't believe how much times I have to argue with that with my you know family, friends, usually my many family. Always like, no, you're just acting like a white person. Well, I, I guarantee you, America's not just for the white man. Well, absolutely. I mean, you, I mean, you, you've seen, you know, I'm, I go and I go into uh, to the chat room with you, and we're in there causing havoc at nighttime. <laughs> and you've seen, you, you've, you've heard the things that I've been called many, many times: a race traitor, and Uncle Tom. Uh, a, a white a white man I mean I've been called everything in the book I mean it's just like Joe Biden says man if you if you have a problem or you know have a hard time deciding who you're gonna vote for well then you ain't black <laughs> you know I've been using that to my benefit I've been cracking jokes at work uh, going around calling people Negro sympathizer 
<laughs> I'm sitting there, I'm like, and people are like, oh, oh man, you're such a racist. Like, no, no, no. Joe Biden said I'm a white guy, so it's okay for me to say this. <laughs> Well, you mean you you heard what I've said all. So you you heard what I said all the time, that I don't think any black person has a right to be offended by the word if we can't stop singing it and it's every other lyric in our songs. You use it as a term of endearment. How are you going to be offended by something that you're calling yourself? I mean, I saw the the whole after this Black Lives Matter have blown up, even showing videos of people just saying that one word and then eat up getting assaulted, and then people were like justifying it like that. Oh, they deserve it. They deserve it. It's crazy. It's crazy, crazy. So, well, I mean, I, I wonder what the founding fathers would think if they saw like the last statement if they saw the America how it is right now. Now Black Lives Matter are calling for Texas to be surrendered just to them, or tearing down their and their statues. Crazy. They even had the fact of militia marching down in the Mount Rushmore, and that's even started controversy. You know, I just looked at how the media treats and uh, and panders to the radical left, and how how crazy it is that you know. Last year, uh, Bernie Sanders went to Mount Rushmore, and all the media had to say about Mount Rushmore was, man, how great these patriots are. Look at how awesome these patriots are. That's all that they could say about Mount Rushmore. And now Trump goes to Mount Rushmore, and they're sitting there saying that Donald Trump is going to Mount Rushmore to, to uh, celebrate America with a backdrop of these slave owners behind him. But they, but they yeah, couldn't I mean, say any. They couldn't say anything like that for for Bernie Sanders. Well, what do you think Donald Trump's political stance is? You know, he's he's surrounded by uh, evangelical Christians and you know, constantly mentoring him. Do you think that maybe the different views that the the news says because their you know uh, beliefs and and their beliefs in politics? Well. I, I always say that Donald Trump's stance, his stance is the stance of, a, of any average American. He wants to see Americans treated fairly, treated like Americans. Uh, you, you take a look at, at what he says about the countries that have been ripping us off for decades, China, Mexico, and Canada, the European Union, how they've been taking advantage of us, taking our money, t robbing us of our intellectual property. He's saying the things that we have all said privately, well, he's saying it publicly, and he's not ashamed to say it. He's been saying the same thing for 50 years. He's the most consistent man I've ever seen when it comes to saying things. And this is how you know this is what he truly believes. Because unlike Joe Biden, who flips on issues as they are convenient for votes, Donald Trump says the same thing every time without a beat, because this is what he really believes. Joe Biden doesn't believe in anything. What what is Joe Biden's policy? He doesn't believe in anything. He doesn't have any beliefs because he keeps changing his beliefs in order to get votes. You know, you know, Austin says the same thing all the time. Is Bernie Sanders is pretty good at that too? That that little socialist communist. You know, 
he's even glorified communist places. I mean, do you do you think that you know our founding fathers would actually go towards you know socialism, like free college, free uh, medical health care? Absolutely not. Our founders uh, were were opposed to the idea of career politicians. Our founders did not want for politicians to be able to hold an office as a job and have it for decades almost like a dynasty because they knew that eventually those politicians would secede themselves to the powers of the lobbyists that funded them and that's what, that's what we've had right now where these politicians have been in there like for instance Nancy Pelosi, Maxine Waters, Joe Biden if you if you take their combined time in politics it's more it's hell it's it's almost as old as america itself well part of my language i don't have to i don't have to change this episode to explicit or just cut that part out <laughs> but it's almost as old as america itself because maxine waters 42 years in politics nancy pelosi 36 years joe biden 50 years in politics crazy even george washington they were trying to make him be a president over and over again maybe even have the opportunity to become a monarch but you know he's still even the first one that said you know what two terms is pretty good for me you know george washington surrendered power very very quickly because george washington was a humble man he did not like the pressure and the weight of that much authority and responsibility on his shoulders and his greatest adversary king george iii said that George Washington was the ideal man that he was truly a great man that was that was King George the third the person who whom Washington defeated to win America's independence had nothing but high praise to speak on the character of General George Washington now was that before or after that was after the Revolutionary War that was that was after Revolutionary War and a little after the time which George Washington died. You know, Washington died uh, about two years after he resigned from office. George Washington left office in, in, uh, in, in 1797. He died in 1799. And in his will, he gave his slaves full reign and freedom over Mount Vernon, which is where George Washington's estate was. And equivalent today, George Washington's estate was worth $11 million, and his slaves were the only ones to heir his property. Wow. Talk about some, uh, uh, some that, reparations. That's go, pretty good reparations right there. Well, not only that, but if you go back to the story, uh, George, General George Washington did not have the manpower. The, the the people who marched and in in the Revolutionary War, uh, there were, there were these were people like a little fourteen year old boy, known named Andrew Jackson, the fifth president of the United States who fought in the Revolutionary War, fourteen years old. But these are people who never held firearms. Remember, guns were not as accessible to to the common person then as they are now. They're, you know, the, so not the, not a lot of people in the Revolutionary War were trained on firearms, yet alone trained in military tactics. 
So General Washington, he trained his slaves back in Mount Vernon on military tactics and he deputized them along with all those willing to fight in the war and he would not have been able to to be successful if it were not for his slaves because his slaves he treated his slaves fairly well by slave owner standards and they respected him and if if he had not trained them there would not would, we would not have won the battles that we did because it was it was uh, about two about two two and a half years before the French were able to send us aid so it was General Washington with his slaves and a few Englishmen of the colonies that had never wielded a weapon before in in war that were fighting off the British the British Empire at the time British warriors who were trained in warfare tactics for a long period of time and you have to think about the respect that his slaves showed for him because he trained them how to wield a firearm and not a single one of his slaves turned their weapon to General Washington. You think uh, George Washington would tell people nowadays just get over the slavery part, you know, now usually us conservatives are saying that to, you know, African Americans here in America right now. You think you'd say such a statement? Or do you think that statement is even wrong to say in the first place? No, I think I think General Washington would say will recount the will recount the conversation that he had with Abigail Adams about the sin of slavery. General Washington was talking to Abigail Adams and he was saying to her that the the weight of being in of being the commander in chief of the Continental Army was something so heavy on him and they were losing so many battles because they didn't have the experience, they didn't have the manpower. And I think that General Washington would have said what he was told by Abigail Adams that do you think us losing is a result of this of the original sin of slavery? And General Washington said, Oh, I would hope not. And I also think he would point to his vice president and his Secretary of State, John Adams and, and uh, Thomas Jefferson. You know, John Adams didn't have any slaves and Jefferson had slaves, but when Jefferson wrote the first draft of the Declaration of Independence, he included emancipation for all people that lived in the Americas, including the slaves and the natives that were already here. But it was from the Council of Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, and of Jonathan Dickinson that said to Jefferson, you know, I understand that this is, you know, we, 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 need to th we need to come up with a solution for the slavery part too, but neither you nor I have any solution to slavery. We don't have anything that can replace it. And it was Ben Franklin who said to him, do you honestly think that those that you know this this bill this declaration has to go before the Congress do you think that Rutledge and the South would concede to giving up their slaves we're trying to start a country and if we were to include emancipation well Rutledge and Dickinson and some of the others in the South would say that you would give emancipation to the Negro and they would 
slay us at the same time that we were trying to slay the British and so our country would never be founded and later on Ben Franklin along with Jefferson had wrote many pieces and introduced much legislation that would get shut down from debate uh, after they declared after they declared declaration of independence they would try to introduce legislation that would push for emancipation but it always got shut down for the preservation of the nation and that was really where John Dickinson was always about Dickinson didn't want to start the Revolutionary War because he feared that he knew that they needed to separate from the crown but he feared that if they did too early because they didn't have the manpower they 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 couldn't trust uh, letting go of the slaves because of some of the some of the southern nations how they had treated their slaves they didn't know whether they were going to turn against them and join the Hessians or the natives and fighting them and fighting them so they couldn't be they couldn't be trustworthy of it and so Dickinson was like look I, Adams and Jefferson I know we have to have independence but I fear that if we do this right now it will be the destruction of our country and it almost was for a for a good part of the battle it almost was the destruction of the country it wasn't until uh, the it really wasn't until the French joined on America's side that the battle began to turn into our favor so do you think nowadays having that revolutionary thought towards our own government right now do you think it's justifiable do you think that you know saying you know this is how the nation was built maybe we should do it all over again and you know succeed from the United Nation I mean United America United States of America and like just pretty much overthrow the government because you know they do say that's why we bear the Second Amendment. Well, the Second Amendment is is in case the government were to turn its arms against us. It's not meant to go out and just go on a shooting spree and killing people. Is well, really the Second Amendment was there to protect us from the government should the government ever choose to turn the militia on the people, because the way it should be is that the people should always outnumber the militia though the militia should be more trained than we the people but as far as the revolution you know i've said this many times i think that we're at a time right now where we're in a revolutionary war one that's not going to be fought with guns even though there's a lot of death that's happening right now as a result of these riots and these criminals this is a war that's going to be fought with our ideals at the ballot box and it's as I said in the story uh, I don't, I'll go back right here I have it you know I've got it written down here but as I said here in the story when Jefferson wrote in in his in the bill in the Declaration of Independence right uh, right here uh, where they said uh, here where do I, where do I have it at someone someone's writing being write too much where they said that prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes and accordingly all experience have shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they have been accustomed and that's really what's happened in, in black america 
they become accustomed to the handouts of the Democrat Party, so they don't want to write it by getting rid of it. But when a long train of abuses from government happens, as it says in the Declaration of Independence, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish that government. And the way that we do that here is we have to elect new faces, new officials in Congress, pass term limits for Congress so we can get these people out of there that continuously abuse their powers against us. See, a lot of times there's a lot of people, there's not really people up for that job. If we had term limits, that means every two years, they'd have to be new people having to go in there. Like, what if that is not reached? Like, what if there's not that much people that want to do it in the first place? Well, there's always going to be someone, there's always going to be a, a fresh new face. And so I've always said this, term limits, if the president gets two term limits, that's eight years, then the Senate should get two years, that's 12. So that way each, each president will always have the Senate preceding them be a part of their administration. So they'll always have someone experienced in their administration. The House gets three terms, that's six years. So the House would be able to pass legislation and this, this way, you don't have to, because really the House, I mean, well, you take a look at this Democrat Party, uh, what have they been able to accomplish? They haven't done nothing because they've been running for re-election the entire time. So they haven't been able to accomplish anything. And so if you, if you, if you remove the threat of, of that, of having to run for re-election all the time, by giving them a term limit, then perhaps they will do something for the country with the short time that they have in office. Well, nowadays, who wants to even do this job, especially conservatives, whenever you're being fired from your job, whenever you're being black, uh, like, you know, just completely shunned from society, or even having any kind of conservative job, they would just get more and more violent towards us to the point where they will scare us away from even wanting to be elected. And you I mean, know, right now you see how much you see how crazy they're going on Donald Trump. Who could honestly put up with that much harassment? It's going to take some. It's going to take a lot of courage for one. I mean, yeah. So, like, when it comes to losing your job and everything like that, even in colleges, these professors that even are hardly ever any conservatives. They they speak out their mind, and then they're just completely just thrown out, pretty much. You know, you were supposed to have that. Mexican Coca-Cola ready before I started recording you bastard <laughs> My bad. but you know you know it's it's going to take a lot of courage and, and you know there's the reason why I chose to include the history of Martin Luther within this story was to show the extraordinary courage it took for Martin Luther to challenge the Roman Catholic Church, the most powerful force in the world at the time. And it's the same thing here, where we have to be willing to stand up for, our, for, for what we believe in. And when we see the offenses upon us, when we see the hypocrisy, we have to be willing to stand up, point it out, and have the same courage that it took. And we haven't seen that courage. Look, 
in Tiananmen Square in 1995 and in 97 when with Hong Kong and how I remember seeing the picture of the man standing in front of the tank push holding his hand out if the if those people in Hong Kong could set themselves on fire to fight for their freedom there in a country that guarantees them no freedom then what reason do we as Americans have not to stand up for our freedoms when our country guarantees our rights to freedom yes yes <clears throat> especially as a Christian you know I wouldn't want to do any violence, you know, or violence towards myself. So that's kind of crazy for me. But you know, well, I mean, well, how would you how would you think of it as a Christian, not just as an American at that point? Well, you know, I've always said this. I consider myself a child of God first, an American second, and black last. And everything that I do whether it's for America or not it is to the pleasure of my God so you know um, that our first amendment rights to the right to, to freedom of religious expression is very important because as a Christian person I feel that it is imperative that I follow the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do unto you but we cannot take that lightly and use that to allow ourselves to be run over because the proverbs tell us and, and proverbs i can't remember the particular verse right now but i'll find it eventually but in proverbs it tell us do not be so meek that you will allow people to misuse you so you have to be, you know, I say, uh, uh, I, I've written a lot of sermons, a lot, I, I don't call them sermons, I call them memoirs, my pastor calls them sermons when I give them to him, but I've written a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of faith-based memoirs, book, I mean, hell, with the amount that I've written, you can call them books by now, I've written a lot, and, and one of the writings I wrote, it was about the importance of pride and and humility it's okay to be prideful in the gifts and talents that God gives you it's okay to be prideful in the country that God has given you what is not okay is to be so arrogant that you promote the gifts that you have and the country that you have above the God that gave it to you it's important to be humble so that you can understand when to mourn and when to celebrate it's important to be humble so that you can appreciate the gifts that you were given but it's not okay to be so meek that you would let people rob you of the gifts that God has given you rob you of the country that God has given you by rolling over and doing nothing to defend it in Ecclesiastics it talks about there's a time and a place for everything the time for war and a time for peace. There's a time to fight and a time to run. And we're at a time right now where we have to we're we're at we have to we're at a crossroads where we have to pick. Are we gonna fight or are we gonna run? Are we gonna fight with weaponry or are we gonna fight 
with something that lasts a little bit more than bloodshed ideas so we have we're at that point in our in our society where we are coming to that realization you know Martin Luther got his got out of the clutches of the Catholic Church what do you think about Americans that are not Christian that say or that maybe feel the same way about our Christian belief and this whole debate of uh, Christian liberty versus religious uh, freedom do you not feel like maybe they're just trying to escape from what we believe as absolute truth because they don't hold our God like that they see that maybe we're like the Catholic Church and just want to get out of our clutches the morality that God places because there's not a lot of people that like God's morality a lot of times it's like the, the rich man that came to Jesus how can I go to heaven and the Jesus Christ gives him the Ten Commandments and he, he walks away with his head hanging low not a lot of people want to follow it well that's not exactly the story the, there was the rich man asked Jesus how can I get to heaven and uh, he told him to give up everything that you have for it is more, it is easier for you to fit a camel through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. Um, maybe so, but I mean, usually this, 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 that, um, that is actually said by a guy I listen to. His name is, um, uh, what is his name again? Hmm, I forget right now. But he usually uses it when he's out evangelizing people. That that's what you know God gave him, so that you know the Ten Commandments are like a mirror, so you can see your own sin. I, I I would agree with that to a degree, because the Ten Commandments, you know, you know, you know how the Ten Commandments came to be. God God did not want to give us Ten Commandments. He gave us freedom to choose, freedom to do things that we needed to do. But the Israelites, who have become accustomed to the rules of Egypt after being freed and they began to complain about everything they began to say that everything is too hard this is too much we need rules we need structure so Moses went up to the top of the mountain and in the burning bush he spoke with the Lord and the Lord gave him the commandments and said present these to my people and tell them that these are the rules by which they should follow and if they can follow these rules they can have anything that they want he goes and he shows them the rules and they and they're down there worshiping false idols and things like that and and they, they see the rules and they say this is too hard these rules these rules are too much we can't follow these rules and of course you know Moses breaks the tablets which you know uh, but uh, as a Christian here in America you know when you take a look at some of the Christians, I say that with quotes, on TV, the Al Sharptons of the world, on TV, it's hard to be a Christian when all you see from Christians are supposed Christians like Al Sharpton, the Reverend Al Sharpton, should I say, with all, with all the sarcastic reverence that I can give, uh, it, it makes it hard to, to trust in faith and faith leaders because of these fake prophets these false prophets and false preachers amongst us that preach evil I mean, Al Sharpton is a racist he's an evil man uh, so it, you know you have a generation that doesn't go to church but they might tune in to a TV show that that's you know that has a TV preacher 
from time to time and they see these TV preachers abusing their power like much like the Roman Catholic Church did and, and, what, and what Martin Luther did when he seen the abuses of the, the Roman Catholic Church and then you equate that to what's going on right now you know that that's the reason why I you know I'm I'm glad that I grew up in a in a small town raised by my grandparents where I could go to a small local church a hundred and thirty years this church has been around I've been going to for all my life to be instilled with those southern church churchly principles to to know the Lord to know his words to know his teachings and to know that my my work as a Christian is not done just because I know scripture I have to be able to interpret scripture understand it and comprehend it studying it is the biggest part about it and you know the Bible tells us that there's going to be a generation that's going to come up that does not know God and as I look around this generation I get I get a little bit skittish more and more that I think this generation might be the generation that does not know God what do you think about that well I mean we're not a lot of, a lot of us are not Christian anymore especially not in this country but like that's what I was you know first asking is for the people that want to escape God's clutches like the way they see it like they just don't want to people like that and you know a lot of these debates I've been doing for the last three years I usually back up my stance because of the Bible and then you know it's usually that I, I found out I always find out that it's either a liberal Christian that's always arguing with me or just somebody that's an atheist or just doesn't want to be like that you know whenever it's freedom of religion uh, you know it allows that and <clears throat> it allows that and even the first amendment to the United States Constitution, Congress shall make no law respecting, I mean, respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Which is, you know, uh, important. And you know what, I, you know, I, I was telling you this before we started the show, that I believe that the thing that sets us apart as Christians versus other religions, not only is it because our God is the only God to have conquered death and defeated death but also that our religion we look as a Christian it is not my job as a Christian to force you to worship my God it's my job as a Christian to inform you of the good news of Jesus Christ the good the good news which is the gospel of Jesus Christ which is the the, the birth the life and the resurrection the birth the life the death the death and the resurrection to be more specific to, 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 to let you know what the wages of sin are and then to let you make your own choice you know I would rather you I would rather tell you the truth and tell you the consequences of what you are doing and how you're going to end up if you continue to do it than force you to join me and tell you nothing and I think that's the unique thing about our religion and our faith is that our mission is not to convert our mission is to inform and if conversion happens that's wonderful I love to see people give their lives to God 
I, you know, I've told you the story many times. My ex-girlfriend, she was a Wiccan when we dated. And she, by the time our relationship ended, she had been converted to Christianity. And it yeah, wasn't because... There's, a big, there's still a, that's in that, in that personal aspect, you know, taking care of your house. For me, my, my house will worship the Lord. But when it comes to the house, the White House, how do you see that? For so long, the White House has been devoid of any godly characteristics. Uh, you know, George Bush, for all his faults, was uh, was a pretty, pretty good fellow as it comes to the faith of God. But I haven't seen anybody fight for the rights to be Christian, the rights to believe in God, quite like this president has. You know, Donald Trump is not the most religious man in the world. He's really, he's fairly new to religion. He wouldn't even be religious now if it wasn't for his, uh, for his grandchild, because of his, his daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, um, who had become, uh, who converted his, uh, son, Eric Trump. Um, he had become a, uh, Jewish a Jewish convert and if it wasn't for that then he Donald Trump would never be would never have been a really religious person he's always been he's always kept the Bible that his parents that his mother passed down to him but he's never been one to read it he's never been a religious person but the fact that he put aside his petty grievances with his lack of faith to fight for our rights to 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 practice and worship our faith wherever we so desire is telling that God can use anybody and he has used anybody and he's using Donald Trump to get a message across right now that's true you know he's, he's pushing for uh, you know safety to worship all religions Jew Muslim and Christian but would you kind of think that's maybe falls in the realm of the first commandment thou shalt not have any other god besides me you know just how how can i go about that pretty much saying this is america and, you know i've always thought it was a christian nation i mean you know our founding fathers most of them were christian if our founding fathers were were pretty much all christians uh they were they were they were what you would call quakers you know, you know how you have the, the Quaker oats guy for oatmeal? Well, the, the, the term Quaker comes from the old term for Englishmen who were still a British uh, endearment to the king, but they were also Puritan in nature. You know, the Puritans who were responsible for the Salem witch trials in Massachusetts. Those, those Puritan types, and so they had the derogatory term and called them a Quaker because they were still ascribed to the evils of the king of britain and the puritan nature that caused so many to die as a result of using their faith as a political weapon so that so quaker the quaker's oats you know we're, we're taking aunt janima's off the syrup bottles we should take the quaker oat guy off of oatmeal but since he was a derogatory term for people of faith And, and, and speaking of, why the hell are you 
asking me questions. This is my radio show. I should be asking you questions, and you should be answering them. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I've been, you know, I don't really have too much people to talk about these things. So, I mean, I, I kind of like get on my news feed, do what I post all the time, and I build up all these questions. And sometimes I need to talk to a person that uh, that is kind of like-minded, that I can trust, not confuse me like so many people have tried to. So yeah, right now, I mean, I'd like to see your perspective, especially because of your story and how things are happening right now in the world. And these are, you know, questions that pop up in my mind when I'm debating people online. I mean, I'm one of those people that I'm not a, I'm not a uh, keyboard warrior, but I do like to go out and just have you're, conversations. You're a keyboard warrior, Jay. As a matter of fact, you're a microphone warrior, you screecher. <laughs> no, nah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say all that because I'm not. I'm not really for social justice or anything like that. I'm just here to say, but, you know. But you were. You were a. You were here. a Bernie bro at once. Tell us. Tell us how you changed from being a Bernie bro to a Trumper. <laughs> well, that's that's hilarious because you know, growing up, I would always listen to you know the climate crisis and ozone layer and this is always was something that just you know kind of scared me so you know usually that's really the what the things that leftists always go on and on about and why they should give us a whole green new deal and make our whole uh, country fall down but um yeah i mean i was i was raised to believe like this i was raised to believe in climate crisis i was raised to just uh love the earth, you know, with Earth Day and all that stuff. And I was raised as Catholic and they're pretty secular. And, uh, you know, what really got me, because I love Bernie Sanders. Whenever I was in college, especially, I just love that free, free, free stuff. You know, that Bernie Sanders always talked about free college, free healthcare. I was like, man, well, this ain't, this ain't a bad idea. I just didn't know the consequences of it. And, you know, whenever you have this government taking over that and giving you free stuff, then, then they, I, I saw that they were bending and going after for my, my religious views because I only became a Christian like four years ago, three years ago now, especially after Donald Trump was elected. I was like, can I trust this crazy man, you know? So it was a, a leap of faith to try to go in, see why would I support this guy or is this guy just gonna be the evil man that they, to, that they projected to be? And so through all those looking for what what am I gonna believe in I just started talking to as many people as I can seeing what everybody believed in I saw that only the uh, right conservatives you know the Christian conservatives have the only real you know uh, good thinking that kind of took away that hysteria I had because you know as a leftist you kind of just live in this hysteria but then you know I, I mean I saw that if they give you free health care then they can fire you as a doctor for not doing abortions. That's what happens in, 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 um, in California, not California, in Canada. And if you have free school, then they're just gonna dictate what you're gonna learn in school and they're gonna be more progressive, you know? And I just, I see how it's going right now. It's just everything's leading to no morality, even though they say that they're the more moral people and where's my humanity? Every single time I bring up my conservative views and debates, they always say, where's your, where's your humanity? But they just don't like the conservative view. Uh, it seems wrong to them. I mean, they say women's rights, you know, I was all for that too. 
like these women's rights has become, you know, against male, you know, male masculinity. They want to make us not men anymore. So I just, I just like, with this radicalness that's happened these last three years, I mean, it just has pushed me away from being a leftist. I mean, even the only free, the only thing I like Bernie Sanders for was because he, he said free college. I mean, who doesn't want free stuff? Who, who doesn't want to take that responsibility for themselves? And I just didn't want that overreach. And you know, a lot of people will probably get mad because that's because that term overreach, because they always say, oh, you know what? Um, our whole excuse for not wearing a mask is because the government's overreaching us, overreaching, trying to just control us, trying to be tyrants here. And I just don't want to be under control. I like my God-given rights, and I, I want to be able to preach the gospel, especially now that I got so on fire for the Lord. I want to be able to go to LGBT pride marches and not be given a ticket. I want to be able to go to church and not be given a ticket in the parking lot. I want to be able to sing to God. You know, that is crippling it right when i became christian i saw all the evils like doing towards us you know that's interesting as you say about that but the but the free stuff because you know and you know the, the, the being raised to be that way i mean i'm a black man in america what part do you think i was raised to believe <laughs> i mean growing up you know CNN was on the TV every night. Yeah, I used to love, I used to love CNN. To be, to be I, real, my I have never CNN. liked CNN. Whenever, whenever my grandmother would turn CNN on, I was, you know, I was young. I didn't, I didn't know why I didn't like CNN. I just hated it, always. Every time she turned it on, I leave the living room and go to my bedroom, and start playing with my toys, because I didn't have TV in my bedroom. And I had a little, I had a TV with a little VCR on it, but. You know, I wasn't allowed to take any of my tapes in there uh, unless I had unless I got permission to watch one of my little movies on my cassette. Cause I had a, you know, I had one of those Sylvania TVs with the VCR on it, and so I would, you know, used to go in there and watch my little movies and stuff. And but whenever she started watching the news of CNN, I I leave the room because I, I never liked it. Uh, but as far as being raised, I mean, I was brought, like, look, you're brought up Democrat in the, in, the, in the black community. You're brought up Democrat. You're raised that way. There's no other viewpoint. There's no other uh, idea that you can have in our community that's not Democrat. If you had a different idea, you know, when I was younger, I, I used to be that oddball in the family. You know, I go outside. I have a stick in my hand. I'm out there having sword fights with my imaginary little friends. You know, I've been a child, and you know, I I didn't. I hate, I hate hip hop. Hate it. Absolutely hate hip hop and rap. I, occasionally, I'll listen to one of the older songs before they became so vulgar. You know, but even some of the older songs that I like to listen to that were hip hop based were still very vulgar. But at least they did. At least they sounded different. You know, all the songs today sound sound the exact same. You know, I, I can't think of one. I can't think of one song that came out in the last decade that sounds unique. <laughs> they all sound the same. But you know, I love. I loved. I loved. Um, I loved jazz, and I loved classical music. 
epics and orchestra. Those are those are my things. I love listening to those types of songs. Uh, I got a love of it because when I was younger, you know, we watched things like the Looney Tunes and and Tom and Jerry and the songs that they played in the background. They they had they resonated with me. And as I got older and I began to do more research and history on things, particularly when it comes to African culture, um, my my granny, who she is dead now, but she introduced me to many different African African cultural songs. Her husband was from Nigeria. Uh, she married him back in the 70s or the 60s, I think, and he died in a car crash way back then but she kept a lot of the culture you know she you know I remember asking stories about the wooden tribal mask that were in the back room that she had and she had all these African garbs that she wore all the time and I remember I was in seventh grade and we we're supposed to be doing a music portfolio on uh, on history and I decided to use uh, my ancestry African history so she put me on some African music African patapon it's and it, there's something about the music just really grooved to me it was it was very symphonic like the symphonies of Beethoven that I like to listen to but it was all percussion you know it was all drums and string and it's in the sound it had a groove in my body that I just liked and I was able to to write things about about it and we sat there and we wrote about it and me and my granny we talked all the time and though we were on different sides of the political spectrum my granny and I could talk all the time and she would encourage me in all my beliefs even if they were opposed to hers to go for it so what with, what with all the other friends and family members that I had that were black it was it was completely the opposite the only encouragement that I felt was always from my granny everyone else was oh he doesn't he doesn't like the things that we like he's crazy they should we should take him to Sam Hill Sam Hill was um was an insane asylum down here <laughs> so they're like because he's because he's awkward he's not he's not like us should go put him in a crazy house because you have different views you act differently than than the norm that they were accustomed to and and differences things like that so yeah growing, growing up and taught to be a Democrat and I you know and I don't I don't subscribe to a Republican either I'm I'm uh, I'm more it's more so I've always said that I'm part of the Constitution Party I joined the Constitution Party this year when I figured it out when I uh, when I was registering to vote. Well, actually, actually, I learned about the Constitution Party when I was putting my name into the ballot box to run for office. I was looking for parties that I could run under, and I came across the Mississippi Constitution Party, and I read on what it was about, and I said, "This is something that I can get behind. I, this is these are the things that I believe." And that's how I became a member of the Constitution Party. I mean, but really, when would the third party ever get elected to anything? It's always Democrat and Republican. That's why I, I saw Republican more as what I was going for. So I just went for the Republican Party. They're more powerful. I don't think there'd ever be a third party 
ever winning any seat, anything. It'll be it'll be hard because it'll be hard because these third parties don't have the funding, they don't have the money. But I think if you can get a really good candidate behind one of these third parties, it's possible. I mean, we do have independents in Congress, Bernie Sanders, for example, but all the independents that are in Congress always vote with the Democrats. So you may as well call it independents, just another wing of the Democrat Party. Uh, now, I vote Republican because the Republicans are more on the side of what I believe than the Democrats are. And so long as Republicans continue to be more on the side of the Democrats, uh, of the, on the side of my beliefs than the Democrats are, I will continue to vote Republican. But when you know, that changes, I'll vote the other way. You know, uh, you, you said you, your granny had such a big influence on you. Well, so did my dad. So, you know, me growing up as a, uh, you know, a climate activist, I saw oil as evil because I always ask my dad, like, what's, what's wrong with the Middle East? Like, why why is it so hardcore? Like, why is there always nonstop wars? And he's, he just tell me that's because of the oil. It's because of the oil. And then also, you know, saying that these CO2 emissions is the, is the root of all this climate change. You know, you just kind of just go to the left side right there because it is, it is a go at this such, such young age, you don't even think it's political. Now, whenever you become, whenever I became a conservative, I can just tell that everything's political, especially when it comes to music too. They're always literally giving these messages out to just naturally go towards the Democrat side or that side, you know? You know, and they, I, cause I'd always ask about North Korea too. He was like, you know why we don't ever start? My dad always say, well, you know why we don't go fight them? It's because they don't have oil. They don't have nothing to give us. Well, you know, when I was younger, I was all into climate and, and climate control and everything like that too. One of my favorite cartoons growing up was always, I loved watching the Arbor Day special for Captain Planet on Boomerang. I, I would watch that all day. I loved Captain Planet growing up. You know, it, there's like earth, wind, fire, water, heart, but your powers combine. I have Captain Planet, you know, you hear the song, the, the song was always kick-ass, it's just like, oh, it's like, Captain Planet, he's the hero, gonna take pollution down to zero, and I was all, I was all for it, I was a, I was all into it, but I was never to the point where it was a big problem to me, because I could see, because my, my goal and my dream as a child was always to, to be paleontology archaeology that was my thing i loved the land before time jurassic park my favorite movie of all time still to this day jurassic park i've watched it all i've got all of the movies i've got all of the land before times and i understood that what i was being taught in school about renewable and non-renewable energy uh, because of the sciences of geology even as a young child i could recognize that the earth creates its own petroleum and the more the the more that the earth continues to go through this reactive process the more petroleum that's going to get formed it's slower per se than biodegradable things like plant life but it's still renewable it's just slower and we're never going to really run out of it because the earth 
constantly generates this petroleum it has to that's the way they, that's that's how petroleum is basically a side effect of the formation of the earth's crust and rocks and tectonic plate shifting the the, the volcanic uh, upheaval and molten rocks and the nickel and all those things that continue to melt constantly within the earth that's petroleum is the side effect of that and so long as that continues to happen we're always going to have petroleum it's going to take you know it just takes a while for certain things like that to continue to develop but it's always in the process yeah i mean i hear that it's usually plants that make made up the oil not really dinosaur bones but you know okay. that, that usually that's usually just that's usually argued by the people that say that there was no dinosaurs so yeah there are a lot of people that say there are no dinosaurs and you know as a scientist and as a creationist and people are like how can you be a creationist and believe in dinosaurs and it's like, does that mean you believe in evolution and I'm like no no doesn't mean that at all it means I can subscribe to the idea of the, the creation mythos and I can subscribe to the idea of evolutionary adaptation without having to say that Darwin was correct and how the, the 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 differences in species were derived i can i can believe by looking at basic human nature how we change our clothing with the changes of the seasons that certain animal species would adapt to certain environments that doesn't mean they evolved into a completely different creature but it means that they had to change something about them and their bodies will react to it you know if you move to an area that's colder and you're naked all the time your body over time is going to say I need to be hairier so your body's going to going to take the nutrients from the food that you eat and it's going to cause more hair follicles to grow on your body if that so you can stay warmer in a, in a colder climate if you if you if it's hot your body's going to sweat a lot more it's going to say okay we need to start making this guy start balding a lot faster than he would normally if he was in a temperate climate so that he can sweat off some of this excess heat and it's very it's fairly simple you take a look at the differences between elephants Asian elephants and African elephants Asian elephants have smaller ears because it's cooler climate over there. African elephants have large ears because they use it as kind of a fan to fan off some of the excess heat. So it's real easy for me to believe that animals can adapt to situations because we do it. We're human beings. We're technically still considered members of the animal kingdom so we if we can adapt why can't animals do the same thing and as far as creation is concerned well something had to make it in order for it to exist in the first place so even if you were to say that we all were derived from a singular cell something had to put that cell there to begin with so you it's always going to be what came first the chicken or the egg that always made me go crazy, man. <laughs> that question was a good question. But for sure, it has to be the chicken. It'd be impossible for the egg to come out of nowhere. 
why can't it be the God that made the chicken? <laughs> Amen to that. Amen to that. So, what do you think nowadays when I put these hardcore progressives that say, you know, maybe, uh, you know, LGBT is kind of like evolution in a way? Or, because you, you know, I, like I, I find it ludicrous. There, there, ludicrous. there is no scientific reason to be gay. You, you can't. You can't continue the species if you can't reproduce. Human beings can't reproduce asexually. We can't, re you know, I'll be, you know, I have a, me and my best friend, we have a joke, you know, the friend I was talking to when we, when I was in the car, we have a joke, we got a friend of ours named uh, Dustin. I, we call him Captain America because that's what we are. I'm Superman, he's Batman, and Dustin's Captain America. We call ourselves the world's finest. And so, Dustin was a uh, went to school uh, went to school to be a police officer. And every time we see a, a a cop car off there, we say there goes another Dustin. And we have a joke that Dustin he reproduces by fission and button. He's asexual, so all these police officers are just other Dustins, and he's just budding. But could you imagine how awkward it would be if human beings were able to asexually reproduce? Like one day you're just walking down, and then you just split in half, and then there's two of you. I mean, mitosis. Wouldn't that be difficult? Fission and budding, like, like oh, I got this tumor on my forehead, and then it grows legs and falls off, and it's another you. I mean, humans. Can't that that do would that. be kind of cool because at least I build, uh, I build a whole different political political party. Make it Jay's party, you know? Yeah, I think, I think we'd have to destroy the planet if there was a bunch of Jays taking over South Texas. <laughs> nah, I think it'd be a lot better place, you know? Better send but, you boys back across the border. <laughs> I mean, the only reason I, I'm not trying to say I'm a, I'm a, I'm a like, absolutely good, per, like, good person, but it's just because I hold, you know, those Christian values. And I feel like if more people had those Christian values, Maybe a lot things would be a lot more better, you know. You see all these, well, like one of those things that made me that made me go crazy in the first place was seeing all these uh, school shootings. Seeing all, I mean, I was just trying to think to myself like, what is happening to this world? Like, do you honestly believe that all these school shootings are just because people are losing their mind, or do you think it's because maybe they don't hold life to that type of importance, or do you maybe believe that as some kind of you know, party, maybe like, you know, Antifa, incline just want to see the America burn, you know, just like it's burning right now. Well, do you remember the diary of Anne Frank? Anne Frank? Yes. Yeah. I don't, is it a movie? <laughs> I don't well, know. It's, it's a movie, but it's also a diary. The diary of Anne Frank, it was from, it was a diary by Anne Frank, who was a little girl who grew up in the Holocaust in Germany. Oh, yes, remember yes, yes, they yes. were they were they were in the attic I, I behind the bookshelf. And they were being kept there until they were finally found by the Nazis. Now, Peter and and the Diary of Anne Frank was, you know, they were really close. And when they got to Auschwitz and it was time for them to be executed, Peter had lost faith in a lot of things. He was a very negative, pessimistic person. And Anne Frank said to him that he didn't have to be Jewish, but she felt that he needed to 
believe in something, have some type of religion to believe in, so to give to bring back his spirit, to give him that moral compass, so he wouldn't be so pessimistic. I I'm sort of the same way. I would never force somebody to believe what I believe, but I think that you ought to have some belief, because if you do, you're more rooted in in optimism. You're not so negative and pessimistic. If you have something to believe in, you have something to live for. You know, uh, that's the, I mean, that's, that's what I think of it anyway. It's kind of funny that you say that because you know I, I became I mean before I was even any kind of hardcore religious person like I'm or with the political having a political stance at all. I was a lot more happier person, you know, just lived in my own little bubble. But whenever I became religious, I saw the world for what it was. So I mean, I became a pessimist because of, because of religious views because I saw that we're being persecuted all around the world and then I see that coming here to America slowly but slowly so yeah I became a pessimist just because I see it slipping out of my hands something I just barely got you know as I talk with the owl man sometimes and I'm sitting there talking with the owl man and I'm and I'm getting to one of those times where I feel a little bit pessimistic about what I've seen from the world today and it discourages me but then the owl man will come and he'll tell me a story of kindness that he's seen from New York. Like there's this drug addict that was always in the streets of New York in front of the owl man's job. And this guy every morning would ask the owl man for a cigarette. And the owl man would give him a cigarette, give him a light. And this guy would, would chase off all the other crackheads and he would hold that, he would hold the fort. Well, come to find out, that when the rioting and stuff started happening one of the shops down the street paid this guy to to guard their building and so he got himself a, a, a baseball bat and he stood outside that building all day and all night defending that building from the rioters and looters and one day the owl man was going, was going to work and they seen him and he's like well, let me go and get get a little bit of money so I, can, so I can give it to him to buy some cigarettes and instead the guy had purchased the owl man a pack of cigarettes and a cigarette lighter and if you know how what it costs to buy a pack of cigarettes in New York it's like 15 20 bucks for a carton of cigarettes because of the taxation that Bloomberg left them in that's for, crazy. for a pack of cigarettes you know us uh, you know, I don't smoke, but I've sold cigarettes. A pack of Marlboro Reds is like five thirty-five. A pack of Marlboro Reds in New York is like twenty-five bucks. Down here in Mississippi, you can buy a whole box, a whole case of cigarettes for twenty-five bucks. So, what we were doing, and, and I was talking with the owl man, I'm like, you know those stories like that kind of reinvigorate my hope for the future and as i told you when we were driving to see leo terrell a long-standing democrat black man who was always at odds with larry elder on, on sean hannity and and everything but when he heard those racist comments from joe biden where joe biden said that if you don't vote for him you ain't black 
and when he's seen the destruction of American history by Black Lives Matter and how little Black Lives Matter cared about all the other black lives that have been killed and gunned down by Black Lives Matter activists, David Dorn, this eight-year-old girl, the three-year-old girl, the 16-year-old boy, uh, the 19-year-old that was gunned down in Seattle in the CHOP zone, they, uh, and Leo Terrell calls this out and now Leo Terrell says that he is voting for Trump in 2020 I I start to have I start to be encouraged more I start to have hope a lot more and it, it reinvigorates me it refuels me and my passion for our country and for our fellow people you know I write I write a lot about trying to encourage people and trying to bring about personal responsibility and personal accountability you've seen my writings I've you've heard me speak this a, a thousand times before but What's now to see that it's actually happening I mean and then you know there's a lot of young people in in the chat room and they hear us talking and I get private messages all the time from them saying thank you for teaching me this information and showing me this information and I, I got a message from somebody that told me because of the, of what you've been talking about in the chat room, I was able to use that information and got a fifty thousand dollars scholarship to go to any to go to the college I wanted to go to, because you answered one of the questions that I needed to practice for my test. And nice. so, you know, things like that have things like that encourage me to continue doing what I'm doing because it's important that you know we. Uh, you know we are the we are the last bastion of hope for this generation that's coming up we're the ones that are that precede them and it's up to us to lay down the foundation for this generation and as godless as our generation is if we don't start reinstituting God and the love of, a, of the love of country the love of self the, the personal accountability responsibility and then get rid of this victimhood mentality in this in the youth today then we have failed them and they will be the generation that does not know God and that will be the end of humanity as we know it it's gonna be in America you know it's kind of a sad thing to hear but you know whenever uh, you're talking about the story about you know the man with the cigarettes but the thing that made me more optimistic is you know not really optimistic but more like praying that God's will be done, which is like revelations, you know, you know, pretty much all the signs that happen before he comes back, like good will become bad and bad will become good. Well, I always think about the story of Habakkuk, the, the prophet Habakkuk, and how he was crying out to God saying, why are you letting our people get captured by Babylon? And I kind of, I feel like that too in a way. And, you know, it, it, Pretty much God you know just says I mean he says you know I live by faith you know just trust God has everything in a bigger picture even though it looks bad right now well I see America's falling to America's falling and losing the one last place where you can be a Christian and not be you know harassed or anything I would be killed you know there's some pretty crazy places but I just feel like maybe you know whenever I pray for God's will be done was kind of pushing to that point where we will see that persecution, the great tribulation. And I kind of, you know, you know, you know me, I'm always that person that thinks that God's already going to be here right now. So kind of just say, 
I don't I don't want to open the door wide open for all the evils coming. But I kind of just see it as those stepping stones that I should just have faith in God and understand that this is just what's supposed to happen right before it comes. Because you know you, I I want the United States to be a Christian country. That's like kind of going for Christendom, but I should really should be going for I want God's kingdom here. So yeah, I want America to be Christian uh, Christian nation, and I'll try to debate and trying to get anybody and everybody to go to heaven with me by preaching, spanning some seeds, but. You know, it's just pray for God's will be done. His kingdom come. You know, that's really all we can do right now. You know, I say this so many times that as Americans, we have two powers in this country. We have the power of voice, which we express of our vote, and we have the power of the pocketbook. And the pocketbook is much more important in many ways than our voice because sometimes we sometimes we're silent but the record of our money where we where we send our money to is where we're, is where our voice goes and I've been donating a lot of money uh, lately I've donated a lot to the Trump campaign I've donated a lot of money to St. Jude and a lot of money to breast cancer awareness and prostate cancer awareness I've donated money to Africa for those for those causes and if we want to reclaim our country we have to start putting our money where we put our words if we say we believe in something we need to support what we believe in by funding it you know we believe that uh, Planned Parenthood is the destroying our generation then we need to put our money where where we put our words we need to start funding funding it providing proof and evidence of it and I talk about it all the time you know they say black lives matter black lives matter but you don't talk about the deaths of the black people that have been slaughtered in the last couple of weeks you don't talk about how when, when you take out heart disease and homicide abortion is the number one killer of black people in America and before abortion the number one killer of black people in America is other black people and we See, don't talk about any of that so if we want to 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 make a difference we've got to start putting our money where our mouth is and I would, but that's, uh, I don't, I don't, you know, Planned Parenthood gets funding really good. They and do. It's LGBT uh, teachings in, in school, teaching kids that it's okay to have sex, you know. Usually these kids are just going to have sex and then go get for an abortion because they don't, they're not really having a, uh, a marriage or anything like that. So this is pushing for more of it, more of it. And it, it's, I just say, like, yeah, you can give money, but you have to teach, preach. Exactly, we have to teach. You know, Booker T. Washington sponsored a lot of schools, about 5,000 uh, black black schools back in the 1900s, uh, early 1900s, uh, when black people were coming out of Jim Crow law, we were, weren't able to read very well, but we were able to close the gap 
between white people and black people's education because there was a there was about a three-year gap between education black if, if whites were reading at an eighth grade level blacks were reading at a fifth grade level and we were able to close that gap by by funding places of education and we were able to close that gap to a six-month gap where white people were six months more advanced in their readings than black people were that's a great difference from fifth grade level reading and eighth grade level reading so you know we can privately donate but what about whenever the usually the left say well, why don't we just cut budgets like how cutting the budgets for the police officers cutting the budgets for wars why not just get free education why is that not the same because free education is the same thing with free health care i mean you you know that i've sold the affordable care act and I talk about it a lot and how horrible it is you know when you allow government to control something like health care or education the competition goes away the incentive to to give higher quality standards of medicine or or in this case of education goes away there's no competition there's no there's already no school choice in in America and Democrats refuse to sponsor a school choice bill Democrats have had power in Congress for 40 years consecutively and they have never been in favor of supporting a school choice bill instead in the 1980s they sponsored a bill by and passed a bill by Joe Biden that was for 36 billion dollars that was geared towards schools that refused to integrate blacks and whites and they would get the funding instead of the schools that integrated. So, when you allow government to take over anything, the the quality gets worse, the cost gets more expensive, and the choice, the competition goes away. And instead, you're left with mediocre teachers that only teach what the government allows them to teach meaning they can replace our history and teach us things that are untrue it'll be like it'll be like it'll be like if you had your history teacher be replaced by Don Lamont from CNN that's that's basically what would happen if you let government take over your education system I mean that's how it is in colleges nowadays. These liberals have completely taken over that area, and now you see these people are coming out of college with all this money that they can't make no money because they're getting really stupid degrees. Like, what's <laughs> so, um, What's the man? This teach you crazy stuff nowadays. It's not even worth anything, but. Do you think we're taking away other people's rights by saying no to women's choice, no to free health, no to free school? What about the people uh, or uh, LGBT rights, all these other rights? Do you feel like we are taking their rights away? Not at all. If anything, I think we're giving them their rights. You know, if you want the right to choose to get an abortion, then you should have the right to choose whether you should pay for it or not if if you're trying to include that in my cost 
then you're making a choice for me. This is this is the problem with the Affordable Care Act. I'm a man, but if I go get health care now thanks to Obama, I have to pay for women's coverage in my health plan. I'm not a woman. I will never use women's coverage, but I have to pay for it in my health plan. I have no I have no children. I have no children. Not planning on having any. But I have to pay for children's coverage in my health plan because of Obama. Because of Obamacare. So you're making choices for me. So if you want to have an abortion, okay, that's perfectly fine. Pay for it yourself. Stop you know, making us pay for it. It's funny because even the first uh, bill for the stimulus check, Nancy Pelosi poured a lot into uh, uh, Parenthood. There's a lot of money that she was trying to put over there. Yeah, what happens to that second stimulus check anyways? The second stimulus check has never left the House of Representatives. And it will not pass the Senate because they're gonna they've been cramming stuff in it the same way they did the first the, the second one because be reminded that there was there this one will be the third one because the first one was going to give us two stimulus checks it was the one that was drafted by the secretary of the treasury and sent to the senate in march and it would have passed and given us two stimulus checks of twelve hundred dollars up to twenty four hundred dollars maximum a piece with up to five hundred dollars per per dependent. Um, that was that would have been passed at the end of March, and the first check that you would have received would have been at the beginning of April. The second check would have been at the beginning of May. You would have received two stimulus checks from that one bill, and it was only going to cost us two point two trillion. Nancy Pelosi shows up, and in, in late March, has a meeting with Chuck Schumer. And now the Democrats don't agree with the bill and they don't sign it and then they introduce their own bill that's full of crap that's got funding for free education and all this other bull crap in it and they pass it and they pass it and only have one stimulus check in it and it cost four trillion dollars instead of 2.2 and now they're doing the exact same thing with the third stimulus bill or stimulus check bill and the president's already said he's not going to sign anything that doesn't have a that doesn't have liability waivers for small businesses because if if these businesses if you are allowed to sue a business for contracting coronavirus in a time where the businesses aren't making any monies at all these businesses are going to go out of business and never come back and the small businesses make up 50% of our country's wealth that's where we get the majority of our taxation to fund everything in this country is from the small businesses so if if let's say I it is my choice to go to Walmart and I touch a knife at Walmart and I'm looking to buy but somebody who had the coronavirus touched it before I did and now I've got the coronavirus and I sue Walmart and now Walmart goes out of business because I sued them because I got the coronavirus when it was my choice as an adult to go to Walmart and touch the knife so we have to give these companies a safeguard from something like that from happening 
because a lot of people will use this to be crooked and destroy the lives of so many people who have created their businesses from the ground up and take everything that they have and so if, if that's not included in the stimulus wave in the stimulus package Trump isn't going to sign it and Mitch McConnell isn't going to send it to him so the stimulus package is not even on the table yet Trump wants one he thinks we need one personally I don't think we need one I think we need to let this unemployment sh uh, crap I was about to have another curse word there but I have to make sure this is rated G for the radio show but uh, I think we should get rid of this unemployment crap and tell people to take your lazy ass back to work it's time to get back to work and do stuff if you want if you, you want know. to make money you have to be able to assess risk at, look I work on top of a nuclear reactor every time I go to work I have the risk of that reactor blowing up and killing everybody within 18 miles of my job I don't stop going to work because I was a nuclear reactor under there I see I seen a car crash yesterday and one today hell I could have been in it but that doesn't stop me from leaving my house an airplane could, fly, could fall right through this house right now considering that the airport is right behind the house airport airplane could fall right through this house and kill me right now but it's not stopping me from doing this show it's not stopping me from sleeping it doesn't stop me from doing anything like that when I go out and I choose to have sexual intercourse if I choose not to use protection and I catch a disease that was my fault sure the law says that it is the requirement of the sexual parties uh, sexual partners involved to disclose any disease they may have had when you're having intercourse but you are having intercourse with somebody without protection so you have assumed the risk and you're an adult a consenting adult it's time to act like it and stop letting the government babysit you you know it wasn't even too long ago california you know took away that law to where you can spread these diseases and not go to jail anymore for it or not i don't know if you're going to jail but yeah it was um it was hiv in California it was a crime to give someone HIV knowingly you could face up to up to six months in federal prison for giving somebody HIV knowingly because that was considered attempted murder but now in California that's not that's no longer a crime but if you give somebody a straw they can face a thousand dollar fine for each straw and up to six months in jail per straw that's that's on the books in California as of 2018 but giving somebody a life-altering disease which has one of the highest death rates of any disease known to man is not against the law it's just like the hypocrisy man you you go to riots who cares about corona you go to church oh man yeah, go, you go to Trump, especially if you go to Trump, man. Go, Trump to, go to a Trump rally. Hell, you know, 
has it ever occurred to some of these people on on CNN that maybe the coronavirus spikes? Uh, you know, I I'm pretty sure that the 28 million people who were out protesting had nothing to do with the coronavirus spikes. I mean, they weren't social distancing or anything, but the virus is self-aware. It knows better than to attack somebody that's protesting. You, you, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure that the, the, that the virus didn't spread between those 28 million people that weren't social distancing because, you know, viruses, the virus is, a, is Democrat. Remember, Bernie Sanders says it's, it's, uh, it's racist, too. Oh, yeah, they say it's racist because, oh, black people are dying from it. Well, it's not racist. We, we know why black people are dying from it more than white people are. It's because black people and people who live in inner cities, which are poor, inner cities are all poor so minorities that live there particularly black people because of the food choices that we have that we eat deep fried chicken smothered in gravy stuffed with bacon wrapped in turkey skin <laughs> deep fried hog malls and chitlins and 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 Corn on a cob and neck bones smothered in onions and gravy and uh, that sounds pretty good, man. And, that sounds pretty good. And and uh, sweet tea and, or as uh, or as Lavelle Crawford said on his comedy show, lazy nigga sweet tea. <laughs> I told I asked a friend of that's a black friend of mine at work. I said, do you know how to make lazy nigga sweet tea? He said, he said, yeah, I know how to make lazy nigga sweet tea. I said, how you make lazy nigga sweet tea? He said, you take the bag of sugar. And you pour it in there. <laughs> That's, yeah, it's a fat set. Forget about the measuring spoon. Just pour it in there. Eyeball it. Well, you can taste the diabetes. You know you've got some lazy nigga sweet tea. But you know that that was the that was the joke that we were talking about. It's like so in in our community we we've got um we've got you know foods that have led to us having heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, and all other types of diseases, obesity and thyroid issues, and you know when you when you eat triple fried chicken, smothered in fuck and uh, and salt and and gravy and big old thing of mashed potatoes with with tea so sweet an aunt wouldn't drink it. Of course you're gonna have some medical problems. What did you expect to happen? You know, I mean, fortunately for me, I try to eat healthy. I mean. Look, I love sweet tea. I drink sweet tea more than anybody. Probably, I drink I drink sweet tea every day. But, you know, I've 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 starting to use less tea, less sugar when I make my tea. I still eyeball it because it's easier. <laughs> That's that lazy nigga sweet tea again. It's easier, <laughs> easier than getting the spoon out and measuring. But, you know, I go to the store, rather than buying pre-made foods, you know, every now and again I'll go get a pre-made food because it's convenient, but now I go to the store, I buy, I buy fresh salmon and fresh tuna steak, fresh vegetables, and I'm cooking my food fresh and homemade. 
more and more. It's more expensive, but it's healthier and it's better for me. And I don't eat salt. I hate salt. You know, I've started using pink, pink Himalayan rock salt to compensate because I have an iron deficiency. So I've been using the pink rock, pink Himalayan rock salt because it's supposed to be uh, better for blood pressure than normal iodized table salt is. So I've been using that to try to get myself some of those minerals and uh, from salt and iron since I don't take iron tablets and I know I need more iron that's that's the reason why I get so cold so easily because I have such a low iron count in my blood people keep telling me that I'm anemic but the doctor hasn't said that the doctor just said I need to eat more iron so I'm trying you know but uh, in, but you know I, I'm you know I eat I eat healthier I'm cooking more more often and it shows and the energy that I have that I get better sleep as a result of it uh, and you know I stay healthy it makes you live longer you know I don't smoke I don't drink I mean I drink uh, very rarely I'm not like you you drink like every day I bet you probably had a few today <laughs> no, I, no I, I cut down on quite a bit. I, I'm pretty sure you had quite a few over the weekend oh yeah that's for sure that's for <laughs> I was at work on the 4th of July so I didn't even get to have any ribs but I did have a barbecue pizza from uh, from from uh, what where did, I, where did I have pizza from Papa John's that Papa John's that barbecue chicken teriyaki hey uh, you know what speaking of 4th of July weekend that was it wasn't it Atlanta that had that 34 kill I mean 34 injured 14 killed yep, including the eight an eight-year-old girl who was shot in the neck eight-year-old black girl yeah. shot in the neck but black yeah, lives yeah. matter except for the ones that were that were killing on the streets yeah I mean she's there was even a there was even a shooting those black lives matter opened fire into a car uh, I saw that video but then I, I've even seen something, hey, you know, everybody's you, always like, don't, don't stop see? for the writers, I'll just go on hitting them. But then I actually see a video of a person just running, I mean, hitting two people, making them go flying in the air. So I don't mean that. I've seen that video and I'm like, good, run their ass over. They sh uh, they are they are threatening to, to attack these people. They tried to bust the window open. Uh, in many cases, people have died. You know, the case, the um, in, in 1992, 1993, in the riots, a truck driver stopped uh, because people were blocking the road, and he stopped because he was lost. And they busted into his truck, beat his head in with a crowbar, and now he is a permanently a paraplegic. Other people were not so lucky. Some of them have been killed and died as a result from for stopping, but due to these riders. So don't stop. You know, don't stop. If if they're too dumb to move out of the way, so be it. If it's up to if it's between the protection of you and your family, you have to do what's what's necessary to protect your family. Because too many of our young people and people are, are, are getting killed as a result of these rioters. You know, I don't know. Did you if you've seen the video that Taino posted on American Legions on our on our uh, on our page in the American Legion? of that black man who tied those white women up and set them on fire in the store what I didn't see that yeah he tied up these two black women 
covered their body in lighter fluid and then set them on fire. Now, when, when did you post this? Uh, it was like two days ago. And fortunate, fortunately, lighter fluid burns out very quickly, but clothing doesn't. You know, clothing can burn for a while. Hair, if, if her hair had caught on fire, it would have been bad. And, you know, fortunately, when that fight or flight response comes in and that adrenaline kicks in, you get that superhuman retarded strength. And she was able to break free of the ropes that tied her and saved, and saved her life and the life of her friend that was next to her. They were both on fire. And we're supposed to just sit back and let this stuff happen because black lives matter? Apparently not to them. I mean, this, they're Marxists, you gotta remember. They just want to see the, the destruction of America. But, um, you know, even Chaz, they were even, you know, on camera caught saying, is there any white people that have any degree of, uh, or any any kind of experience policing or security? Can y'all please step up? You know, they're calling the white cops. Oh yeah, and then you have the area in Chaz where they've got all of these people there. Uh, f or like four or four or five black people were killed in the in the chop area where they're supposed to be uh, anti-police and anti-racism uh, and things like that but yet black people are still in there dying and in their little area that they have t taken control over uh, you know it's crazy you know you're you're a Hispanic American a Mexican American I, I prefer to just call you a yellow American, because that's what you are, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but you know, you're an American of Mexican descent. I'm a, I'm a black American. I hate the term African American because I had never been to Africa. I don't have any plan on going. Oh, I do have a plan on going to Africa, but even if I go, I'm still not going to be African American because I was born in America. I was born in Houston, Texas, in 1994. Oh, you a Texan, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I, I would like to say I'm more Spaniard. My grandma says we're Spaniard, but, you know, we're still from Mexico. But I'm first, I'm first. But, uh, what were we, uh, go on, what you saying? I was saying, well, you know, as a, as a Mexican-American, how, how does it make you feel uh, when people are... Are desecrating our flag, they're destroying our history. How does it make you feel as an as a Mexican American, as an American in general? How does it make you feel to see people promoting other countries over ours in our own country? It drives me crazy, man. Tell you the truth, uh, especially when they when you, you go to those countries. I mean, I go to Mexico every now and then, but. Why would you be escaping these places and coming over here with that flag? Like you're you're escaping it. Why would you want to stay in a country that you say you hate so much? It just it doesn't. It's crazy. I mean, uh, Donald Trump was making it illegal to to uh, burn the flag, and then the people that I'm always debating with, uh, you know, about the First Amendment, because they're always talking how I have hate speech because you know they always label Christian hate speech, but then they want to come and say it's free speech, Trump. What about now? They only they only want to back it up when it suits them best. But you know, I didn't know that it was that they've been trying to make it illegal 
to burn the uh, to burn the American flag, but I kind of want it to be. But then I see that it's free speech still. But but this is destroying the, the symbol of America. I mean, what it represents. And they they say it's just a clause. Why are you getting so mad? But I don't. I don't. I'm not really mad about that because some of them do make sense. They say you know it's just. It's, our blood is where we, is where we come from. So I'm I'm mad people. about it though. I really am. I see people burning our flag. You know, 2016, 2015, I think it was actually, before I went to Texas. To think, yeah, 2000. No, 2000. Yeah, it was 2016. Before I went to Texas, because I went to Texas in August of 16. Uh, before I went to Texas. My aunt, uh, she had served in the Air Force for over 20 years. By the time, by the time I was born, and she died, and we buried her at a military funeral. And she died of cancer, and we placed the American flag on her casket. And when she died, we got to fold that flag. She she fought for our nation with that with that for that flag my uncle he died in 2012 was one of the last of the Tuskegee airmen the first black pilots in the world in World War two he died he fought for that flag he fought for this country yeah he and he died and we buried him with the American flag my brother, who's in jail right now because he's a dumbass, well, graduated from the Marines in 2015. And when we were there in Paris Island, and well, and I was over there, and we're see, sitting there seeing all of the 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 the, the history of the Marines. In the, in the museum of the marines and I'm sitting there looking at my brother and we're standing for the national anthem and for the Pledge of Allegiance my family all sitting there prideful of the American of the American flag and the and the uh, Star Spangled Banner and my sister she made it to Hassan officer in the army She's over there in in Corpus Christi, Texas now. Uh, Colleen, Texas, actually. But she's over there in Texas now, and she's still serving her duty as a member of the United States Army. And my youngest sister just went over to the Navy boot camp, and she's going in to take care to go to Navy boot camp. A good friend of mine, his whole family's practically military family, his mother and father married in from the Navy, his older brother, Navy, him going to the Navy, uh, you know, and I'm sitting back and I'm looking at this and then a few years go by and Donald Trump becomes the president and the, my, the very same family that was so prideful of my brother walking across the stage to graduate with his platoon at Paris Island are now the same people that are talking garbage 
about America. And it bothers me a lot because there's nothing about Trump that changes the way one should feel about the people that died for that flag, about the people that died for America, about the members of our family that have served for our country. And I'm by no means a patriot of any type. I, I believe in holding God above the country. But when you think about how the founding fathers would, would react, I mean, as I said in the story, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, they had the strength of will to hold off their deaths until the anniversary of the birth of the country. I mean, when you think about what they would feel to see how people are treating our great nation, it, it, it sometimes it's almost strong enough to bring a tear to a person's eye. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't appreciate it at all, for sure. But they they got me with the free speech. They said it's a free speech issue, and so I'm all for free speech, even if I completely hate it. I'm all for free speech, but I like to tell people, freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom of freedom from consequence. So if there's a law that says if you burn the flag, you go to jail. You're you're it's your right to burn that flag, but don't but don't start crying to me when you go to jail for it. Uh, you, but it, you find out you can't go to jail for it, right? I mean, no, just, I mean, it's, not, it's technically it's technically not a law, but it has been. Um, practice for over for de for decades in America, they viewed it as an act of terrorism, and so you could go be go to jail uh, and be looked at as a terrorist or, uh, or something to something to that effect. But it wasn't a law per se. Uh, to to uh, to if you burn the flag, you would go to jail. But it was always sort of an unspoken rule, you know. Yeah, I mean, I was really happy. I've been, I was really happy that Tifa got labeled as terrorism. We put pushing their. They need to go ahead and label Black Lives Matter as terrorists too. Oh man, I think I don't know if it's really Black Lives Matter. I mean, I you, you don't really see. I mean, you do see the black people, but you see a lot of uh, white people too. Yeah, well, there there are many white people that are parts of Black Lives Matter, and there are many black people that are part of Antifa. Label them all terrorists. Put while you're at it, go ahead and put the Ku Klux Klan in there too, because the Klan is going to come back because of the chaos that's happening right now. The Klan didn't just die off; they're waiting for something like this to happen so they can have a reason to come up and go and attack some black people. Yeah, I mean it's crazy because uh, I, you know, how I posted on stuff on Facebook. Well, one of the one of the people I post, uh, get my post from invited me to this group, and it's the as the Civil War, Second Civil War. And, you know, I don't know what I got myself into. These people are calling up for the uprising already. And they are ready to get, they get together, they go and uh, beat up Antifa. And they are, I mean, there's just, there is a call for some war. And I've been, I've been thinking this for the last, you know, three years, especially in the last uh, elections for the, the House of Representatives. I mean, I saw how divided the, the country was exactly uh, cut in half but I mean I just see it coming I'm not optimistic 
I mean, about just America surviving today, honestly. That's that's why I'm that's why I'm pushing that this election is going to be the most important election in our modern American history because you know, but, this election will either make or break a nation and what part of that are you going to be on are you going to be on the part that makes this country that keeps this nation or are you going to be on the part that will break us break us to the ground and as I said to my friend if America were to fall like the other civilizations before it you thought that Germany was bad with Hitler you thought that the fall of and and Versailles and France was bad you thought that the Roman empires was bad the amount of death and carnage that would happen of our modern technology and weaponry in America if America were to fall the amount of death that would happen would be the greatest amount of destruction in human history the only country I mean, that would be left be, to be, lead be, the world would be those that are against America and without America as the role model as the parent to all these other nations the entire world would fall into chaos America is the one that, that that brought all of these other countries out of poverty you get rid of America and every other country is going to destroy themselves and you know we're the ones to abolish slavery, even though this whole Black Lives Matter is about you know our founding fathers having slaves. But yeah, we are the ones that get that get pushed. One of the first the countries, countries to abolish slavery at and su at such a young age, no less. Yes. And even yeah. in even in that, you know, you go back to the beginning of the. I think I said this earlier in our show, but you go back to the beginning, in the draft of the uh, of the Declaration, they wanted to emancipate then and there but they knew they couldn't do it because they you know they couldn't get it through Congress so they had to create the nation and fight for the issue later you know but even if we get Donald Trump elected again imagine how angry people are gonna be it doesn't matter I'll tell you why all we have to do is get over the goal because once we've won, they've already tried to. They've already tried impeachment. They don't have a Trump card left. They can impeach as many times as they want, but so long as we keep the House or keep the Senate, and if we regain the House, if we do our part, and all we have to do is win, there's nothing that they can do. Donald Trump has to play a safe game right now. He can't do a lot to get rid of these mobs right now, other than. Do a bunch of speeches and and let the Democrats be shown to be the cowards and fools that they are so to encourage people to vote against the Democrats politically but once we get across the hurdle and in November 3rd 2020 then it's completely different he can you know, he can do uh, he can do whatever he needs to do to get rid to get rid of these insurrectionists at that point all we have to do is get over that hurdle. We talk about people who are who are angry. When he won in 2016, these same crowds that are killing people right now set buildings on fire with people in it, caused billions of dollars of property damages, uh, 
on election night in 2016 because they lost. They didn't even know why they hated Trump and they set buildings on fire. They tried to kill people. Milo Yiannopoulos, a gay conservative married to a gay black man, was targeted at, at a school, UCLA Berkeley, which is renowned for its freedom of speech. They burned the school to the ground with 300 conservative students in it because they didn't like Milo Yiannopoulos. Fortunately, nobody was injured, but that was attempted murder, and the dean of the school did not even send the police, and there were no arrests made. So this idea of how angry they'll be, you know, if if this wasn't a uh, a, a family-friendly show, I'd drop an F bomb and say F that. It's time. It's time. It's time to fight back. Yeah, I mean, I mean that there's really no other choice to be honest. I mean, people are hell bent on this one, America, and not only America, Israel as well. Ain't. So, without America, there will be absolutely nothing gonna hold back the Middle East from leaving. Exactly. Really, you know, the there's not there, there's nothing to hold back the Middle East. There's nothing to hold back Korea. There's nothing to hold back China or Russia. You know, America is that thin line in the sand that every country is afraid to cross. Because America is the only country that has the power to hold every other country at check at the same time. You see, and that's why I, these people that say defund the military, defund the military, I see them as enemies to America as well. I mean, why are, would you want to do that? You know damn bang well that people want us to die. And they just pretend like just because oh, America yeah, is defunded. Oh, yeah. And just because America stops like America has the capability to stop all the wars in the world by saying they're not gonna fight anybody because you know, to a lot of people they say that America is the the threat to world peace. And that's one of the main reasons why I can't stand the Barack Obama. He goes over there overseas and talks crap about our country because his candidate lost presidency. Uh, and you call it, and you're going to countries that are no friends of America that chant death to America and talk crap about America, encouraging more violent insurrections against America by being a former president and going to these hostile nations to berate America to our enemy. Like, how are you going to call yourself a president of the United States and go do that? Well, he's a globalist. I mean, these people really don't want, you know, they, they I guess, what, what, do you, what do you think, the, how would a one world government actually work? Like, Very similar to Futurama. You ever watch Futurama? I used to love that show. It'd be very similar to that. How so? Well, Futurama is a one world government with Richard Nixon as the president and basically everybody has to have a microchip that determines what your job is going to be Every, everybody basically doesn't make any income you get you get what the government gives you 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 
don't get to drive anything you drive what the government tells you to drive it'll be it would be one big Futurama episode is what a world is what a one world government will be like what about these people that say oh you're just conspiracy theorists well, you know this United Nations conspiracy because we've seen what world war governments have done before in history if you go back through history the, the world has been run by one world governments before because remember the Americas were not considered to be part of the world at one point in time because every all other recorded history happened on the other side of the planet so Persian Empire they had established their empire they implemented their rule and it was horrible and their empire fell you had the Roman Empire do the same thing they conquered all of the world at that time I mean that's how Christianity got to China was because of the Russian because of the Roman Empire and it was pushed further than it ever had been pushed by Constantine and it fell the one world government system didn't work the Egyptian Empire it fell the Greek Empire fell the British so, Empire fell the, the one these one world governments always lead to the exact same thing a rebellion of people who are tired of being oppressed and they rise up and they kill their leaders so in your in your story how has those ideas from those ancient civilizations were a basis of how America is right now well as I said in the story they are the basis for how our society became we took the idea of all of these other nations and kind of merged them into one particularly when it came down to the democratic state of Athens and the, and the Republic of Sparta the idea of being able to rule a country by the consent of the majority vote through the democratic state of Athens and the idea of having a government that is run by a republic like in Sparta we were able to mishmash and take the best attributes from all these other countries and put them together and create the idea of America and have a democratic a democratic republic where we can rule by majority vote but the majority vote would not be the majority of population but the majority of delegation through a republic and so you know there are many other things we pull from other civilizations we pulled uh, the great craftsmanship and the sciences particularly the mathematics from Egypt you know Egypt is the uh, the, the creator of the, uh, the systems of calculus and astronomy that we use today so we've taken archi uh, architectural design from Rome and from Greece and Egypt and we've taken all these different things from these other countries that's what makes America so unique is that we were able to take all of these traits from these other civilizations without taking the faults without taking the things that led to their downfalls and use them to create the basis of our country and you know and in doing so we have created the most important political doctrine ever made the United States Constitution a constitution that's so perfect 
and how a civilization should be run that I believe if heaven had a constitution it would be America's constitution because it's literally that perfect call that perfect god might take it away for saying that <laughs> but um you know you know you were talking about rise and fall of nations and stuff like that do you hold this as true this is uh this is one of the things that first got me to thinking like yeah it's about to be the end of the world is the, the statue of Dan of daniel can you read that let me see I know you're blind, but you know, let me see if I can get closer. Head of fine gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron and feet of iron and clay, the stone, the everlasting kingdom of God. And then you have, have you seen that um, they go off and then they say that, you know, you see the head of, head of fine gold was Babylonia, which was 626 to 539 B.C., Chest and arms of silver, or metal, metal Persia, 539 to 332 BC. Belly and thighs of bronze was Greece, 332 BC to 63 BC. Legs of iron and feet and clay, a divided kingdom of Rome, and then the stone, the everlasting kingdom of God. You know, I already said, um, I pray for, I pray for the kingdom come, even though. That means America falls. Well, I pray, I pray that God's will be done. If God's will is to make a course of events happen, which will lead to the apocalypse, which inevitably leads to retribution and leads to judgment, then that be his will. So let it be done but if this is god's way of giving us an opportunity to make amends so that we may have a more prosperous future before us then that that will be done as well i believe that the, i believe that god god hands before us two paths that we may go but we, you know like i see i see just a war coming because yeah, we can try to make, you know, this this way, but there is no way from all these debates that I've been having that there is no way that we're going to come to that. People just don't want that. As the book of as the book of Ecclesiastic says, uh, I don't have my Bible in front of me right now, but in the book of Ecclesiastic, I believe it's in chapter 1, it says that there's a time for war and a time for peace. There's a time to fight and a time to run. See, and in this time, if that, it comes yeah. down to if it comes down to war, sometimes you have to fight for what you believe in to make it come true, to preserve a nation. Sometimes it has to be done. I just don't see how that's how that would preserve a nation if you're going to be. It preserved know, us in the Civil that, War, like, didn't let's, it? Let's talk about the Civil War. I mean, it's like, why is the point? Why would they want to even even? Uh, why would they even want to, to take down those statues? Why would they want to take down the flag of the Confederates? Why are they trying to erase that history? How how was that that Civil War? Well. Did you think, do you think it got better, America, after the Civil War? 
America most definitely got better after the Civil War. You know, I like to think of the Civil War as a parent chastising his child. Okay? So think of it this way. You're, you're a rebellious child that's refusing to follow the instruction of your parents. And so, in order for you to be to respect your parents more, they give you a whipping and a good one. And after you've rebelled and you fought and kicked back against them, and they've beat your ass pretty handily, you come crawling back to your mother or father and at night, and you cuddle up to your parents and watch TV. And that's how I see it. Uh, the Civil War was America chest the, the Union as a whole chastising the rebellious child the Confederacy of the South and it had to happen uh, eventually it was going to have to happen one way or the other and it was better that it happened earlier than it did than 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 later because it was going to have to happen to where this was going to have to be an event that came to pass and it was there was some, there were a lot of struggles through the civil rights era there were a lot of struggles that led us to where we are now but if the civil war had not happened we would not have the progress that we have now we would not have many of the great ideas and inventions if the civil rights if the Civil War didn't happen, you wouldn't have laundry machines or dishwashers or peanut butter or other things like that because, or, or open heart surgery or the discovery of DNA because these are things that black scientists came up with. And they needed to be set free from the bounds of slavery and, and Jim Crow in order to make these things happen. You wouldn't have the musical uh, revolution in our country that, that happened in the in the late 20s the 1920s where the music of Harlem kind of infused with the music of the rest of America and it kind of that that black type of music and really you know really the type of music to hit the, the, the tap dancing and things like that sort of came from the infusion of Irish slaves and black slaves you know the Irish had their clog dancing and the blacks the Africans their culture was percussionary instruments and so they kind of in order to still have instruments that even though they weren't able to have any they made their own with their shoes and that's how we got the tap dancing they infused Irish clog dancing with African percussion drums and they made that music with their feet, and so this infusion of of uh, of American culture happened as a result of the Civil War, as a result of many things. And the Civil War would never have happened had it not been for the relationship that Abraham Lincoln had with the free man and America's most astute philosopher Frederick Douglass, a black man. It would never have happened had Frederick Douglass not convinced Abraham Lincoln that despite the casualties that would happen, that this was the time.
to fight for freedom as the Constitution was the basis of Frederick Douglass's belief of freedom and Abraham Lincoln could not respond in a way that was an objection to that. And what do you think is the freedom we're fighting for this time? Like, There is nothing that we're fighting for this time. We're living in a time and events in America today where we have no major problems. So the left is making problems. But what we're fighting for right now is to show this generation how lucky they are. To show them that they have no problems. And if we continue to do our part, if we stop rolling over for them and start giving them the facts, because we know that for the last 70 years, our schools have been infiltrated by these liberal indoctrinations. If we fight back with the truth, with the, tr with the reality of history, this is why they're trying so hard to remove these statues and these monuments, because if they can eliminate history, they can write their own history. And we have to continue to stay the course and teach true history. If we are able to do that, if we're able to accomplish that, then this generation and these people will begin to see the truth. And it's happened. It's happening. It's we're we're not seeing we're not seeing it through voice, but we're seeing it through the data, through the polls, through the people who have been long-standing Democrats that are changing their votes for the first time in decades because they've had enough and I've, you know I, people on my facebook page black friends of mine and white friends of mine are talking about they're, they're rioting because they don't have because they've tried everything and i said to them how can you say they've tried everything when they voted for the same people for 70 years well now they're starting to vote differently and rather than voting for party, as I've always said, don't vote for party, vote your best interest. And that's what's starting to happen. And people aren't talking about what they want to vote in, particularly if you're black. You don't talk about what you're going to vote for because you'll be excommunicated from the black community as a result. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, they always, like, I, I hate the rule where they say, uh, what's that unspoken rule, I guess? Uh, don't talk about politics or religion. But why? Isn't that... Just, I know it brings up tension, but if you don't talk, what are you really talking about, I guess? Uh, no, I talk about politics and religion whenever it is possible. <laughs> I love to talk about God. I love to talk about politics. I love to express and hear other ideas from other people because you know when we talk about fellowships and ministry in, in, in religion a fellowship is a gathering of people a gathering of friends and a ministry is to literally to minister ideas one amongst another as we fellowship together the ideas that I take from a scripture that you take from a scripture may be different but when we fellowship and we minister to one another the same the ideas and what we have gained from our experiences in life and the application of the scripture is completely different and the whole purpose of that ministry 
is for me to, to go home and think about what you said and you to go home and think about what I said and we, you, and we may not agree, but at least we have a different perspective upon which we can use as an example when we're teaching to someone else. For sure. You know, that's, that's why I like the old ways, the old times, they'd go to the uh, pubs, I guess what they would call it, or the bars, and that's what they would go talk about, politics. Now it's like, it's like, if you even mention that you're a Republican, or if you even mention that you're Trump's supporter, you might even get killed. Wasn't there, didn't you tell me a story of a black man that's, that happened to say he was a Trump supporter and ends up getting shot? Yeah, uh, that actually happened. He said he was a Trump supporter and they, and they shot and killed him. Uh, just just because he had a different opinion and different viewpoint than than they did, and they, you know those things are not things that we should be allowing to happen uh, within our country. It's like the brown shirts, and they call themselves Antifa, but they have that, like you said earlier, uh, brown shirt tactics, you know, they find out, they just don't want to even debate, don't want to talk, they just want to kill. Yeah. Well, you know, Jay, we've been going at this for two hours and 25 minutes now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, it's now almost 11 o'clock. <laughs> if, sure, yeah. if this had been recorded when we started talking it would be more we'd be over three hours probably four hours by now so i think it's time to go ahead and give our closing thoughts uh what do what go ahead and tell us what your closing thoughts are on this here well just gonna try to talk and preach that's all i can do i hope there's no civil war and i hope people can see the hypocrisy of the left it's like donald trump said this fourth of july he's dedicating it to defeating the left Gotta preserve our country, preserve our God, live for what's right, protect each other. You know, speaking of Donald Trump, Fourth of July, I have to say, Donald Trump's celebration of America for Fourth of July has to be the greatest Fourth of July celebration I have ever seen, and I've seen a lot. But the B-17 bomber flying over the White House, the the paratroopers. The new version of the song, Proud to be an American, sung by our troops, the party that they were having, and the speech, and the, the fireworks at Mount Rushmore and over the White House. I mean, this was the most extravagant celebration of America I have ever seen. You may have to see me a link to that. I, have, I didn't see it. No, oh, and I watched it all night. It was great. I recorded the episode on Hulu on Hulu Live TV because it was coming on during my news. You know, I like to watch Waters World on Fox, and so they had it playing uh, through up up until Waters World it was happening. And so I recorded it and I watched it over and over and over again. It was really good. The speech you can find on YouTube, uh, Blaze TV, I think, has the full speech. And so I mean, the the, the celebration was great. And, you know, I think I'll close with this, you know. As I said in my closing to the story, I marvel at the, at the, and wonder at the thought of being proud enough of my country to live, to die on the birthday of my country. Like giant, like John Adams and Thomas Jefferson did. And I can't, I can't even begin to think 
what they would think of our country right now today. We're 244 years old, this country. And we're still the most free country in the world. There have been so many presidents that have come before us that, have, that could have taken those rights away. But still we have persevered. No country could say that it has been able to do something like that. And that's what makes America so great. Well, Jay, I thank you for joining me on the story of America and talking about the greatness of America and the birth of our nation. You know, it's it's a good thing to be an American. It's a good thing to be in America. I would I would rather never be in a different country than this country. This country has given us so much. Uh, you know, from the internet to the video, the video games, to be able to grow up. In the time period that we grew up, I, you know, I'm, I'm really blessed by God that I was that I that I was born in the time period that I was born in, so that I was able to learn the, about the greatness of our country that this generation just doesn't seem to be able to learn because it's not being taught. So I'm pretty happy that I live in this time frame too, because you know I actually have something to fight for. When I was growing up, there was nothing to fight for. I wasn't even a patriot, but now I got reason. Now I got motivation. So. I am pretty happy about living this time too, even though I'm not too optimistic. I just gives me something to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jay, I think this is pretty good on the episode. We're at two hours, almost thirty minutes now. A couple seconds, thirty minutes. So, uh, thank you for being my first guest on the story of America with DeAndre Pace, and this has been one of our best episodes yet, uh, and. Hope to see you in a later episode, and I'm going to go ahead and end this episode today. And God bless America, and God bless our viewership, our listeners, should I say. God bless you, Jay. God bless you, man. I'll see you. <laughs>